Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. Tear this is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. It is Friday, Frequency Friday, bringing it to you live right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. And what a very special day today is because I have to welcome back uh, Mr. Jeff Spinard. It is an incredibly special day, and it is good to be back. Yeah, man, we've uh, done a whole bunch of interviews, talked to a whole bunch of people about all kinds you've been a, of fantastic you've been a busy stuff. Guy. You've been a busy guy. It's good to have you back in the studio, yeah. man. It's nice to be back. It's been a while. Busy man, man. I got stuff to do. You know, today's also important, too, because, um, you know, next Friday we could be in the middle of World War III with yeah. all this craziness with Iran. So but we have to, you know, uber celebrate what we're doing today because I was <laughs> actually surprised that Trump pulled back this morning. Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad he did because I think it's important to gather all of the information yeah. and assess it before they get, you know, too wild, crazy, but especially with the. You know, and it's surprising the, coming from Trump. Yeah, the Russian backing. And yeah, all, yeah. It's it, it's uh, it's an interesting time. So, all we can do is do the best we can today and live today with the best uh, mm. you know intentions, and we'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, Jeff, what uh, what have you been up to when you've been out? I know you had a couple of new radio shows that you dropped. We had like oh, a, yeah. a health and wellness show that you're doing with Dr. Emil. Dr. Haldy. Yes, he is a research and development cat. Uh, he works, you know, it's with everything from, let's say, uh, CBD oils and things of that nature, right on up into uh, to personal products that you can use if yeah. you've got arthritis or you know some kind of pain. Uh, oh, so he ailment. compounds the, the yes, stuff. Yes, he yeah. does. Right. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting show. Uh, it's actually five shows deep right now. Nice. Uh, you can catch that on the Health and Wellness Channel. Just look for Dr. Aldi. Um, yeah, so that's been one project. Also working with the uh, the technology revolution, the future of now. Oh man, I'm having so much fun with Bonnie yeah. getting guests for this show. Last week they did the uh, they did the radio show on ethics as they start to build out new technology and who's responsible for Digital making sure ethics, that it's right. that, it, that it's ethical. And the I was telling you that it's a funny story. They had Gray Scott. He's a futurist uh, who was on, and Gray's one of those guys who's like, you know, I don't I don't like it when I get notifications on my phone. I don't want to get mm -hmm. all of those things. From social media, he feels it's intrusive. It's a pain in the ass, uh, yeah. Right? And so uh, the funny thing is, is 15 minutes before they go live on the show on Wednesday, his phone sends him a notification from LinkedIn that I should connect with him on LinkedIn, and he kind of weirded everybody out. But it also fit the tone nicely for the episode since that was kind of what it was about right. with that intrusiveness and, right. and being able to talk about it. And we're going to do a part two on that one too, which is called uh, Science Fiction to Science Fact. Which would Very be the nice. part two version of that, and looking at you know how um, you know you look at like Star Trek and some of those things, and you know they beam around and do different things, and mm -hmm. you know some of those stuff that you know back in the day with the Jetsons, you know some of that stuff is actual reality today. So it'd sure. be kind of cool to talk about that. Absolutely, 
and I know you have a lot of fun with that show too. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Bonnie's cool. She, this is a woman that you know has been doing programming with us for years now, uh, and she's so on the money, you know, with her research and who she wants to have on the show. Yeah, <laughs> you know, she gets right into it. So it's awesome. That was one of the shows, and of course, we're also working on putting a uh, a new. A private label uh, network together. Yeah. Uh, if we can get things going, we've done a lot of scoping of the the, the project, but uh, this is something that will originate uh, from New York City, uh, and you know, Harlem America is, you know, what the the project uh, is that we're working on. So you know, a lot of things going on with that project. So it's just been busy, man. Yeah, we've been jamming. I think since the beginning of the year with all kinds of cool stuff. And then you and I, um, what was it last week or the week before? We were in Scottsdale for the mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the release of the Wishman movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. The red carpet there. You know, you guys, you and uh, you bring Aaron, yeah, Aaron, right? You guys went out, uh, did some filming on the red carpet. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, I got there and. You know, you, to, you was, watched the movie, didn't yes, you? Yes, I got to watch the movie. Then after the movie, did it make you cry? Uh, no tears. No, no tears. but you know, I guess uh, if there was a female in the audience, <laughs> possibly. You yeah, know. And for the listeners, I'm a you, man. I don't cry. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, for the listeners, if you guys don't know what the Wishman is, <laughs> uh, Wishman movie is about uh, the life of Frank Shankowitz, who is the founder of the Make a Wish Foundation, uh, and he used to be a uh, highway patrol motorcycle officer in uh, Arizona. Uh, so you know, hits really home to me when we did the interview. One of the interviews at the end, I thanked him, mm-hmm. you know, for all the things. That that he's done for the local community for so yeah. long here in my home state. So well, I saw amazing. Frank after the movie, <laughs> and you know, I saw uh, Sharon Lecter, and I, you know, I was. It was funny because I felt like a celebrity there myself because all the actors and the people that were involved, yeah. they're all coming up to me to say hello because. We do a lot of work. All you of know, them. We've yes. interviewed all of them on shows on the network. Exactly. And, uh, it was funny, but the guy, Andrew Steele, who's the main actor yes. who plays Frank in there, uh, I was going through some of our data stuff earlier today, and sure enough, there's he's been interviewed on three shows since that red carpet mm-hmm. here on the network. So that's super cool to kind of see you know, all that networking stuff happen. And all the videos are um, on voiceamerica.tv, and then you can also check them out on our YouTube page on youtube.com forward slash voiceamericamedia. Uh, so there's about... 13 interviews there with uh, different folks on there. Pretty pretty cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, keeping busy. Yeah. Uh, outside, I don't know anything, you know, outside of that besides business. You know, I've been dealing with some health issues, taking care of that. So, you know, uh, that's been my life for the last yeah. two, three months. I think we have another event coming up, too, at the end of July with our partners with the iNetwork Expo yes. folks. So, we'll be out there doing a couple of things, too. And, you know, today's, today is a good day. We got uh, a great guest who's been patiently waiting as we mm-hmm. talk about some of the different things that have been happening as you've been out. And, yep. you know, so glad to have you back. It's great. Uh, but let's uh, let's be let's, back, let's transition and let's let's, let's, th- let's talk let's talk some frequency let's find out about some frequency uh, let's bring it in bringing it in so um, today we're going to talk to uh, Kyle Monahan he's a Los Angeles based comedian and entertainer he's originally from Lancaster Pennsylvania who's gone from humble beginnings as a farmer of tobacco all the way to gigantic stages all over the world performing as a comedian acoustic musician frontman leading man in musicians and play uh, musicals and plays and of course producer of 
podcasts and theatrical productions. Uh, the commonality of all of his experience as a performer is truthful expression through which he hopes to contribute to the betterment of human experience. From the uh, EP he has on iTunes, which is fantastic, great guitar, great singing, uh, to all of his performances at places like the Hollywood Improv and, of course, uh, the world-famous Comedy Store, Kyle is guided by a singular principle, the truth. The truth. Kyle Monahan, welcome to the show, man. What's up, guys? How we doing? Good. 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 You sound you know, like a very sound. busy man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly. Yeah. And also very, according to my bio, very pompous as well. Here in the back, I'm like, Jesus, dude. Let's calm that down. Can I swear on the show, by the way? I didn't ask before. But. Feel free. Okay, cool, cool. I just want to make sure. I'm a comic, so I got a foul mouth. Yep. Well, how you guys, dude, you guys are awesome, by the way. I was <laughs> well, not patiently waiting. I was, I was very entertained listening to you guys. Good. Well, that's, that's a plush. All right, give it yeah, up. Yeah, boom. There we, we go. Forgot we just, we just pounded right here in the studio <laughs> and blew it up. So what are you <laughs> up to, Kyle? What's that? What are you up to? What's going on? Uh, I love the background. I love comedy. I love comedy. Uh, always into that. What would you say is your number one? What, what are you handling right now? Right now, my number one is absolutely stand up. So, because I'm a man of many hats, I wear a lot of hats, and uh, I do a lot of. I'm a crazy guy, so I can't stay still. That's my problem. In fact, I'm losing my voice right now. I don't typically sound like this. My family's in town, I heard and that. I've been singing uh, "Baby Shark" do 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 like a million <laughs> times for my nephew. And uh, so, yeah. you know, I'd like to. I wish I had a badass story. Like, yeah, ACDC invited me on stage, and I lost my voice singing. But that's not the case. <laughs> it was "Baby Shark" do do. Uh, gotcha. gotcha. So no, but my uh, my mainstay in entertainment right now is comedy. Finding your frequency. You know, it's all about, you know, how you found success in what you're doing uh, in life. So why don't we uh, take take this back and let's talk about how you found your frequency in comedy. Absolutely, dude. So comedy was never the goal. And that's what's crazy about my story, man. When I started off, I started singing songs when I was six years old. I knew from the time I was six, I wanted to be a rock and roll star, right? So I started singing when I was about six years old. By the time I was 12, I was in my first band. From 12 wow. to 18, I, I was in and out of all kinds of bands and stuff. And then all of a sudden, uh, what happened was everybody started playing a genre of music that was just ridiculous. So... I learned guitar and taught myself how to play and sing, and I started doing that. Started playing shows solo. That was at 18 you taught yourself how to play guitar? That's right, yeah. Okay, Until 18, cool. I had to rely on everybody else. So you were doing the singing from 6 to 18? Yeah, dude. Okay, yep, cool. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's called Screamo. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in the day, it was emo, and then emo music was like very emotional. It was like Elliot Smith and stuff. And then they started adding screams into it to make it a little cooler. And that's what anybody wanted to play on the East Coast in, like, you know, 2001, 2002. So I wasn't into it because I knew it was ruining my voice. So right. I taught myself the guitar, started playing, started gigging. And that led me to do a musical. And then I got bit by the acting bug, dude. So I was like, let me try this on a big level, big level. So I moved out to L.A. and I started training with a gentleman named William Alderson. And he's tougher than nails, and he got me uh, he got me out of my head and into myself nice. as a performer. I mean, he is really the reason I found any frequency at all uh, for success as an entertainer. So uh, I meet somebody in his class, a, a fellow comedian. Her name's Chelsea Gross. She's fantastic. Look her up. She's awesome. But she was like, why have you never tried stand-up, dude? You love it so much. Like, huh. just try it. 
you you know you make us all cry in class and you're a great actor and you can do all this shit and i was i was scared i was scared out of my mind to get up and do it but i got up i got my first laugh and that's been it dude there's nothing else i want to do with the rest of my life did, you have, did, you, have, did you have like stage fright the first time you went up on on stage for the comedy thing or did you know all of your gigging and performance just stuff getting before up, that just getting like, up in front of a, a, yeah. a crowd well, here's the thing, man. When you have a guitar and you can actually sing and like you can play or you have a whole band with you, it's very different because you have a crutch to lean on. Right. It's like, dude, if I if I miss a lyric, well, I can just play the same three chords and start that lyric over <laughs> again. Let's try it again. Right. And most of the time, if you're playing and you really screw a song up, let's say you really mess it up, you can laugh with the audience and be like, you know what? Let me take that back to number one. All right, right. let's go. If you do that with a comedy bit, you're dead in the water. It's oh, got to be bet. tough. We were talking a little bit about uh, finding your frequency in the space of uh, comedian, and you know, we we were asking some questions kind of around uh, how does that stand up work for you? Um, you know, getting up on the stage the and you, yeah, you, you you had mentioned when you have a band, you got some stuff to lean on, but obviously when you're when you're up there on the comedian side, you're just up there by yourself, and you got to make sure everything's planned, and uh, you know, make sure that you don't yeah, bust. win that audience <laughs> yeah. and keep them. So yeah, tell, that's right. So tell us you, a little story about that. Yeah, so when you're a front man and you screw up a song, or you're playing, in my case, when you're playing acoustic guitar and you have complete control, if I screw up a song, I mess up a lyric, I don't hit a chord right, I can loop that song, or I can even restart, the crowd's not going to care. They'll laugh with you, they're very affable, because you're doing something that not anybody can do. Right. Stand-up comedy, it has the, it, nobody, not everybody can do it, but it has that presentation because it's like, oh, he's just talking, I can also talk. So if you go on stage and you thump or you screw up, you miss a line, there's no restarting that joke. Now you've just lost the audience. So the stakes are much higher, which creates a bigger adrenaline rush, which creates it makes it so much more fun as a performer because right. you've really got to be in the moment. The second you get in your head, you're dead in the water. The second you screw up, you've lost the audience, and you'll never get them back on your side unless you know how to do that, which takes years of experience to get to. So <laughs> in, in, in the pressure cooker. That's almost like if you want to be a public speaker and you want to be really good at it, you should go try your hand at stand-up comedy and get your chops wet. You better prepare. <laughs> so what type Absolutely. of stages have you been on? Okay, so when I started, right, I had the experience. I, I talked briefly about my training. I trained with a guy, Bill Alderson. Mm -hmm. And he trains, he trains you to get into your body and out of your head and just really become yourself and be very confident as a performer. And so what happened was I started doing comedy, and within six months I started to get some traction. People started to notice me. And I was actually discovered, and I use the word discovered because of how much she's done for me in the comedy world, Maya DiGiorgio. She is a brilliant comic. She was the first female on Def Jam. She is awesome. She's like doing one women shows in, in, on Broadway right now. Just She's awesome. She's the best. So she saw me do a set in a small bar and she came up and said, I want you on my show. I have a show at the Hollywood Improv, which is one of the biggest clubs. That's you cool. know, one of Bud Freeman's clubs. Started in New York, then they opened one in L.A. Used to be a cabaret place and then slowly transitioned into this giant comedy mecca. And it's one of like the top five comedy clubs in the world to play. Mm -hmm. So I, of course, I'm six months into comedy. This doesn't normally happen until you're about nine to ten years in the comedy right. that you start booking shows like this. So now I'm losing my mind. And <laughs> not only does she ask me to do the show, but she goes, by the way, we have a big headliner, and it's Bill Burr. Okay. So I'm six months into comedy, and this lady's like, you're opening for Bill Burr. So that was my foray into it. It was like right into the deep end of the water. There was no, it was like... 
you know, Tiny Splash. It's like, right. no, you're opening for one of the biggest gangsters <laughs> in stand-up comedy that's ever existed. Jesus. I mean, he's incredible, right? So after that, it kind of snowballed, and I've been playing these kinds of venues ever since. I've been playing, I, I have actually a show on uh, the 30th, so if you're in the L.A. area or uh, around at all, um, check it out. It's yeah. uh, Hollywood Improv, The Lab, 7, 7 p.m. It's the Maya DiGiorgio show, the Maya show. So sorry for the sorry for the lame plug, but, you know, it's, it's so it's continuously it happening. It's still having it's coming up, you know, here in the future. So it's just been awesome, man. It's been a really I, cool You know experience. what? Anytime a new comedy series comes up on Netflix, I'm always right there. Oh, I love yeah, Bill Burr. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was that, showing Jeff who Bill Burr was. That is that is the deep end. Yeah, uh, yeah I just watched him do uh, a show well, last week. Uh, it was a Netflix show. Nice. Love, love, yeah. love comedy. It's such, you know, especially when you're listening to a good comic that really, yeah. just funny, you know. Uh, what's that like, Kyle? I mean, where do your jokes come from? I know you said you, you know, get out of your head and get, but where, give me a little bit more. All right. So in the bio, I said that my number one principle that I bring to the stage is my truth. It's always about truth. And I don't, mm-hmm. it's, there is no such, to me, there is no such thing as objective truth. I think mean, all truths are subjective and they're always subject to change. Yep. So my truth at 21 is way different than what it is right now at 31. Sure. But if you always bring whatever your actual truth is right now to your performance, sure. it's always going to be a good performance. And that's, it doesn't matter if you're pouring that into your character in a play or if you're performing as, as a, as a solo artist like me who's writing his own material and then performing it. So my jokes just be, just come from me. I will have a real thought. I'll internalize that thought. I'll think about how I how do I really feel, and I don't mean that in some woo way. I mean in a very realistic way. Sure. How, what, where do my principles fall on that? How, and, and then all of a sudden you take that on stage and you just talk about it. And the thing about comedy is this. There's a development period. So what you're seeing on Netflix is the final product. But even Bill Burr, will go up in front of people and have no idea if what he's going to talk about that night is funny when he's working on his new hour. And that's the exciting and fun part of it. So what you do is you have a thought, you take that thought with you, you think about it as much as you possibly can, you find something that makes you giggle, if it makes you laugh. Like, if I don't laugh at my own joke, I won't take it to the stage. If it's like, oh, that could be funny because some people might, it's like, no, dude, whatever (laughs) I think is funny is going to be funny when I say it because it's my truth. And right. people know that. They know when you're bullshitting them. And <laughs> yeah, oftentimes, there is some things you can do to trick an audience. But oftentimes, people think that they can trick an audience, and they find out real quickly <laughs> you can't. And you're that's right. how you fall on your ass. You've got to be honest. So that's where my jokes come from. It comes from honesty, and it just that. comes from being able to play around. That's what Bill did for me. He let me uh, get out of my way so that I could go on stage with just an idea and then just trust myself. It's just about trusting myself, too. Like, I'm a funny guy, and so therefore, this is going to be funny. And that may sound arrogant to, to somebody who doesn't understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to know your qualities, and I right. know that that's one of my qualities. If I trust that and I take that to the stage with something that's a truthful thought, something good is going to happen. And, yeah. you know, it's just so that's, that's where it is for me, at least. So that's my creative process. I love it that, that it's, cool. it's all about the truth. And, you know, you you and I have a, a relationship and I've spent a little time with you and I can definitely say that's that's who Kyle is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spending some time, like we hung out uh, last year and like Thanksgiving time and, uh, man, he's definitely a funny guy. We had some fun. Yeah, man. we did. That we had a blast. Let me ask yeah. you a question though. Like, 
there's so much technology, you know, that's in in our existence today. Do you use, you know, social media or, um, you know, YouTube or any of the other like technology things to make, to help you vet some of your jokes before you stand up in front of a crowd of like 500 people, a thousand people, or whatever it may be? Um, like, how do you how do you make sure that when you get booked for, you know, uh, the comedy store or, you know, the Hollywood Improv that you, you know that those jokes are going to work. How, how does that process work? So you never know. And that's the thing, because <laughs> if you, the thing with the, with the internet is, is it, you, you can get stuck in an echo chamber. I feel anyway, I think that all of our social media, we, we like the things that we like on there. We really don't tend to listen to the things that we don't like. So we kind of curated our own Facebook algorithms, Instagrams and so on and so forth to only show us the things that we agree with. Right. Now that's not funny. Right? That's, if I go on stage and I'm like, hey man, how awesome is my phone? And bananas are good too, right? Like, that's not funny because everybody knows that. Yeah, bananas are good. No shit, man. And iPhones are great because they're fucking great. You know, it's in your pocket. You can do everything. So it's like, if you're only listening to agreeable things, you're not going to find the conflict. See, comedy is born out of tragedy. Uh, and that's what most people, that's what I think nice. people don't understand. They can't grasp that. But tragedy is, it, it's, Lenny Bruce said this, and he's kind of the forefather of comedy. It really goes back to Moms Mabley, but Lenny Bruce said, uh, comedy is just tragedy plus time. It's, it's distance from it. So there's a tragedy that happens, you have a little time in between, and then you make it funny. Because any, the Holocaust could be funny. It's the most unfunny thing right. that happened in history. But how many people have made a good joke about this? So for me, the internet really is... Is uh, it can't be a factor in my in my personal creative process because if you go on the internet, for every one of my jokes I've ever written, somebody already wrote a meme about it. Somebody already did that, but they didn't do it like I do it. Right. So if you go on there, you'd be like, oh, I have this new premise, and I I do want to talk about bananas. And then you look up banana memes, dude. You're gonna be so discouraged. It's like, oh shit, I have nothing to contribute, and that's sometimes <laughs> the overwhelming nature of the internet. It's like, how can I, as a comedian? I'll do these memers, dude. These memeries, are, it's ridiculous. They're awesome, and they're hilarious. But that is only one form of funny. You see, the guys who are creating the memes can't take that to a stage and make it funny. So if you just ignore that, if you just honestly come from yourself and only use it as, a, as maybe a research tool or, 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 or like some pages of the opposite way that you think, maybe it'll provide some ideas. But me personally... Dude, it's just an internal thing. It's my environment, what's around me, what's happening, a thought occurs, I write it down, and then I think about it. And I take it on stage, and you know what, dude? Here's the scary part. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. When it works, you feel like King Kong. You feel like you can smash buildings and stuff. And when it doesn't, you feel like shit. And so you sit and you think and you go, I never want to bomb that bad ever again. How can I make this funny? And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when you start to really find yourself as a comic because you go, I can't keep bombing. I've got to get better. I've got to be. And then you slowly but surely become better and you find the bits that work, that are true to your voice, true to your nature, true to who you are. And it's so easy to so make that So it, it's obvious you've had on. those bombing moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's got to be, I, I, I don't know what I would feel like, you know, be like <laughs> yeah. being on stage with my pants down or something. You I can give I mean? you an example. For me, right, there was a time you and I were doing an interview and we were at CEO Space and it was the first time that we had interviewed Sharon Lecter. Yes. Right? And she sat down and we started to do the interview and I literally got tongue-tied. Yeah. It was the first time in the I, history yeah. of my career in radio that I got <laughs> tongue-tied and I was like, hey, Sharon, hi. I, I had to take yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it, though. That's 
That's yeah. exactly it. And your face gets bright red. And yep. you, get, you actually, it makes it worse. It's like a snowball rolling downhill, man. It's I had really a crutch, though. Jeff was there to save me, right? And I wasn't on stage by myself. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs> You're welcome. But Kyle's right. Yeah. It, it is a snowball. You know, it just builds and builds and builds. It's yeah, not fun. Because once you no. make that, that first mistake... Now you're nervous, and it triggers all those mistakes, yep. and that's what a bomb is. It's, it's so you, what I'm trying to say is you understand the emotion now. Fortunately, you had a great co-host who stepped in and helped you out save the day, which is awesome. You guys are great <laughs> together, by the way. Well, uh, thank you. But, oh, you're very welcome. I love it. Thank you again for having me on the show. But, uh, you know, you had somebody to save you, but just take that feeling and then take it, you know, to it and just put yourself in that position where you don't have anybody to save you, but you've got to stay there. Right. But you have to stay there. You have, you have a 10-minute spot. So the, you have 10 minutes. So you bomb. And that could be a minutes. long 10 minutes. <laughs> a long oh 10 minutes. <laughs> I would say the longest. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, yeah. So bombing is a, is, but it's a very useful thing because you learn from that. You learn, when right. You that, Ryan, when you misspoke, you went, I'm never going to freaking do that again. And it made you a better radio host. So right. every, if you have a good perspective on bombing, then it, it'll never keep you from doing what you love to do. It'll only enhance it if you if you're really in tune with who you are. So what um, what kind of what kind of stuff are you working on right now? I know that we're sitting here talking so much about comedy. Um, can you give our audience Podcast a theatrical production? Yeah, give us a small which... taste of, uh, of of Kyle the comedian. All right, so I mean, put you right on the spot. I'm working <laughs> on. So I'm trying to just stretch my legs and trust myself to be funny. Like, so I just had a show on Wednesday night, right? And there's this weird thing where you might have a funny thought, and when you first start doing comedy, you don't trust that that's actually funny until you try it in front of a crowd. So you're not going to do it on a book show. You're, not, you're only going to do that at what we call an open mic, an area where it's meant, that's what it's meant, development spot. So the other night, right. my voice was like three times worse than this. I could barely talk. I was screaming all day, baby shark, do, do, do. <laughs> so I go on stage, and I said the same thing I said to you guys. I wish I could tell you a badass story. But, nope, it was just Baby Shark. And yeah, so that's endearing. The next thing I said, it's like a comedian showing up without a voice. It's like a truck driver showing up without a steering wheel. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would like to drive the truck, but I can't because I forgot my steering wheel. You know what I mean? My brakes are at home. <laughs> and it doesn't even make sense. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to trust myself more with that kind of stuff. But my main thing, the stuff that I love to talk about is just absurd shit, right? <laughs> one of my bits is uh, I love King Kong. There's just one problem with King Kong. It's not realistic. It's not because of the giant monkey, right? There's a thing called a gigantic myth because like 10,000 years ago, I think now, but it's a giant monkey creature. That's feasible. What's not realistic about King Kong is you never see his dick, dude. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you've seen Kong, King Kong's dick? How you never that? do. They made 40, 40 King Kong movies. Never. And never. you got a monkey the size of a building with no dick. No wonder he's so pissed off. Dude, if I was as tall as a skyscraper and had no so dick, I'd be grabbing every weight lady I could and just climbing Where's the building. Where's my balls? This is how big my dick should be. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he needs yeah. a dick. He's got nobody. He's got no uh, he's second got no, no female king. Right. King Konga. That's why they don't. Well, and that's, Queen Kong. That. And that's well. See exactly the King Kong dong. Right. Where's it at? Because here's the thing. It's a double standard in Hollywood. If King Kong was a female, those would be the biggest swinging monkey tits you ever seen in your life. People would be hanging off of her nipples and shit. Helicopters <laughs> crashing into them. They yep. floppers, dude. No problem hanging boots. But you never see any dong in these movies, man. So it's a, it's, I'm just still, you know, it's, I, just think, I just think that people, 
don't need to hear political stuff right now to get enough of that. I think that if you can just be silly and funny and ridiculous and absurd, I think that's what that's what that's my humor is all about right. personally. Yeah, I love it, man. Being that's silly good. and absurd, that's just funny shit to me. So um, yeah. you, you're, you got a couple of things that you have that are coming up, um, some performances and some things like that um, in the Los Angeles area. Tell us uh, where people can go and you know find out uh, more about you. I know you have your website, KyleMonahan.com, but then you, you have a show uh, at the end of the month coming up. You got up, a show coming up. Hollywood uh, Improv, is it? Yes, sir. Hollywood Improv, June 30th. It's called The Maya Show. There's two rooms. Just if, if you're in the L.A. area and you're not familiar with the club, there are two rooms. There's a main room and the lab. We're in the lab that night, and uh, there's some surprise guests. we got Shang on the show. If you are a big comedy fan, you might know Shang. He's like an old school, very, 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 very funny. You will not be disappointed in the show. I'm mm-hmm. on the show. Maya's on the show. Uh, Jeff Husbands. There's a bunch of us that are It's just going to be a lot of fun. So it's at 7 p.m., Come on out. It's awesome. And then I'm at uh, Davia's in uh, Long Beach, which is a really fun nightclub that has a comedy night. And uh, uh, we have a booker friend of mine put me in, put me in contact, and they just booked me for this uh, for this show on, uh, on July 12th. So July 12th is the day. So how many people go to a show like that? Is that a well, room of 7,500? Yeah, well, it depends on the size of the room. What venue are you playing? And also, what's the draw of the comic? Uh, in my case, are you opening for? I haven't reached headliner status yet, and I actually don't really want to until I'm a five-year comic. Uh, this is my fourth year doing comedy, right. and there's kind of this maturation process that has to take place. And if you try to mature too quickly, then you just shoot yourself in the foot. So I won't do a special for a very right. long time, and I don't want to headline until five years. Anyway, Well, we expect um, VIP tickets to that when you do your first one. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Of course, cool. man. I'll fly you first kid. I'll, I'll be so excited. I'll fly you first class. I don't care, dude. <laughs> We're in. Beautiful. We're in. Well, fun, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but no, so it depends on the venue. How much does they fit? How much do, can they fit? How many people can they fit? What's their capacity? And then can that comic, the big name on the show, does he have to draw to fill it? So I've done, my biggest crowd was 350 people at Oxnard Levity Live. Or no, it was, it was just under, it was just over 400. It was like 405 or something like that. Because there were some people standing in the back. That was a packed show. That's a that nice crowd, fun. yeah, for um, sure. But the next step above uh, a club venue, so that's about the maximum you're going to hit. That's a very large club. So 400 people is a lot. That's not typical. It's typically between 50 and 150 for a club. And then once you step into the theater, you go from the range of like 1,200 to, you know, 7,500. And then once you get to the stadium level, you know, Madison Square Garden, which Aziz Ansari has done, um, Dane Cook, of course. There's a lot of people have done Madison Square Garden. That's where you 10, get 12,000 12, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah 12,000 and up. I mean, people have done stadiums, soccer stadiums, where there's 100,000 people or 10,000 people. Where God, it's that's ridiculous. So. Right. Who does, who does shows like that in, in the comedy world that are, that are like stadium shows? Oh, the stadium shows? Well, okay. So like, I mean, Eddie, I, mean I would say back in the day, like role. Eddie Murphy or something like that could probably do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, here's what's crazy about those shows. Richard Pryor. Uh, comics don't really like them. It's really about the intimacy of the connection with yes. the audience. So most comics find I was say that. that they get drowned in those huge audiences. So, and, and it really is like a very, uh, uh, it's a very small percentage of comics that can even do it. So Louis C.K. has done it about before he got Louis. Um, <laughs> uh, no, before he uh, bit the dust, so to speak, in the entertainment world. Louis did it. Bill Burr's done it. Aziz Ansari's done it. 
there's been a bunch of uh, the blue collar comedy guys. They do stadiums. Uh, oh, Larry the Cable Guy, believe it or not, is one of the uh, top earners in the comedy world still to this day. Those uh, what's huge stadiums, dude? Right, right. Who the other guy? The, yeah, the uh, they the call cigar. him Gator Salad. Yeah, he's he's funny. <laughs> Ron, Ron White. White. Oh yeah. my god, that guy's Ron my. White. He's probably my favorite comic. Yes, he definitely is by far one of my favorites. It's not how fast the wind is blowing; it's what the wind is blowing. If a Volvo comes <laughs> flying through your window, <laughs> that's my favorite bit that he has. It's the way he says stuff yeah. too, you know. Well, and he oh, drinks whiskey, I and I can't him. be mad at anybody that drinks whiskey. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's the best. He's the best. How far do you think? The engine will take us right to the side of the crash. He's the best. <laughs> he, he's the best. He's yeah. the best. I mean, and it, what's so cool about Ron White is that's one of my coolest comedy stories. Uh, hanging out with some of the people I hang out with, I like, get into the back areas in these clubs. Right. You run into them. One night I just hear, uh, I, I order a shot of Jack Daniels and they give me a double and I just slam, I just took it. You know, I just didn't yeah. even consider that there was more than just one shot in there. I just drank <laughs> Slammed it. it. And all of a sudden I hear, I like to see a man drink like a man. And I look over, and it's Ron White smoking a cigar, just smiling at me with his big old smile and those big white teeth. Dude, it was just, I couldn't even say, I was just, I couldn't even say anything. That's it right. It was really weird. It was really weird. I couldn't, I couldn't say anything because I'm looking at one of my heroes, one of my comedy heroes, and he just paid me a compliment. I think I just said thank you, but I don't even remember if I did. I might have just looked at him. I really don't <laughs> the word thank you came out of my mouth or not. So that's when that's when you br- that's when you sit down and have a drink together. <clears throat> yeah. No, I had to. I actually I had to get out of there. I I was I had to order a drink and then literally you know my friend like pulled me out. So it was just one of those really like in passing moments. I wish I could have though, man. You're so yeah, that like, would have been amazing. That's one of those moments where you're like, hey man, can I buy you a drink? But it was just one of those things. That it was a timing thing. It just didn't work that way. But. uh Really cool to meet him, though. He's a very nice man, too. Very good. Everybody knows that about him in the comedy world. Right. He, he's what we call a comics comic. So, so yeah, very good guy. You're talking about cigars, right? Ron White and his cigars that he had. Uh, and, you know, you, you came from uh, from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You guys, uh, your family tobacco was farming tobacco, right? Well, so it wasn't my family. The no? situation is this, right? So when you grow up in southern Lancaster, Pennsylvania... There's only a few options for you when you're a kid. My mom uh, was working as an administrative assistant. My dad worked at a printing press. But if I wanted to, if I wanted, you know, some little uh, pocket cash and stuff when you're 13, 14 years old, that was really easy. You walk right down to the Amish farm. You talk to whoever's running it, you know, the, the Stoltzbooses or whoever it is. And you say, hey, I want to make some extra cash. You guys need a hand. And they'll always hire you. Huh. They will always hire you, whether it's Amish or somebody else. But a lot of Amish run farms in the area. So... I always grew up with farming, uh, being around me, surrounded by it constantly. And, uh, you know, like, I like the smell of manure. I'm one of the few people that I, I, I swear to God I love it because I grew up on it. I smell it from the right. time I was a little kid. It's, Sounds like home to me, which is yeah, really I can, weird. I can understand that growing up at the racetrack with my uncles and stuff like that. Like, and some people get all you know, uh, all weird about it, but it triggers an emotion for me when I smell poop, horse poop. So I, I understand that one. <laughs> there you go, dude. Exactly, man. And people, I like I'm so petroleum. Glad you get that because some people don't. It's the same thing as it triggers an emoton for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, if you grew up years. riding dirt bikes, dude, you smell two-stroke engines. Oh, dude, don't even go there with me. Motorcycles? Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. Smell anything you know? anything that burns. It just gas. takes yeah. right. It takes you to some, to a place that a motorcycle smells different than a car, one hundred percent. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I got a I question for you. Hey, is, is the Amish mafia real? <laughs> no, that's all bullshit. That's a thousand percent bullshit. We we actually. We make fun of all of those cats. I was—I actually did extra work on the show just as a joke. My <laughs> buddy called me one night and he was like, "Hey man, you want to be an extra on Amish Mafia?" I was like, "Hell yeah, let's go out there and see what it's all about." And it was all Hollywood. That was one of the first Hollywood experiences I had. That was before I left my hometown, so yeah. that was the first time being on set and going—you know—seeing the um, the wizard. You know, the the guy behind the curtain. The wizard was revealed. It was—you know—there is no Wizard of Oz. Like this is all bullshit. <laughs> Making this stuff up, they're just—it's watching, watching the show and seeing the Amish guy with his little curlies on the side with his black hat holding an AK-47 just didn't feel <laughs> proper to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's like they didn't even get it right, and that's what would piss me off. Like the little curlies—that's for acidic juice. Like Amish people don't even have that shit, dude. <laughs> but on the show, they did. You know? Yeah, I remember uh, my my dad's from Ohio, and so we were um, we were going. Uh, back to, to Niles, Ohio to go see the family and stuff like that and they decided you know, since we're over there in that part of the world we might as well drive through PA and go over to um, uh, to Niagara Falls and check that out. So I was like I don't know, 10 or 12 years old driving through you know, all of those fields of PA was my first uh, introduction to you know, that whole uh, non-electricity horse-drawn wagon <laughs> and all that and like we stopped at, at one of the stores and it was pretty, I, I, was, I, was, I was fascinated by the level of intricacy the that those guys no, no, the how how intricate they create stuff out of wood it was amazing oh right you know I felt like I was like I was like they're like they're like Jesus <laughs> yeah but here's the thing dude when you have no TV you have no uh, you don't even have a light bulb to read with at night you gotta light up a freaking lantern dude yep. you got all that time on your hands you're going to be working with a lot of wood, too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> their free time, That's they right. just work more. They work so much that when they get off, they go like, well, what do you want to do, honey? I don't know. How about we... Uh can we go build a couple chairs? Let's build a couple chairs. We'll sell them on Saturday at the market, and that's what they do for fun. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Really fun. Hey, Kyle, you're you're, you're, you're that and uh, make babies. Yeah, get <laughs> yeah, children. <laughs> What's that? I said uh, Jeff said yeah, and, and they have at that time, and then the rest of the time they make babies. Oh, exactly. Yeah, they're either making babies well, in the field or you know building chairs. Right. <laughs> and <quilt>. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you have a podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a podcast. So, I sure do. So I want I want you to talk about your podcast. Tell people you know where they can find it and all that. But I also want to mention a partner that we have, and I want to bring up your podcast yeah. around it because it's a, it's a really cool thing. We we partnered up with this uh, company called Repurpose House, RepurposeHouse dot com, um, and one of the cool things that they do for for people who do podcasting is um, they allow you to create content in a manner that you can repurpose that content. So uh, you know if you have ever see on social media, you have like a, uh, it'll be an an, an, an uh, an image that has, um, you know, like uh, uh, audio that runs over it with a quote that you see that's uh, text and, and all that. So these guys create all of these really cool elements. And, you know, the 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 service is like a thousand dollars a month normally, but they Ooh. worked out a fantastic deal for people that are part of the Voice America team. Um, and so this is for all of our listeners. This is for you, Kyle. This is for everybody who's listening. Um, go check it out. It's uh, repurposehouse.com. Um, they're going to give you a 
uh, a promo code will take $200 off of your setup um, and then they give you a special deal for $279 a month to repurpose your weekly podcast nice. into a bunch of assets so you can promote it um, just using the promo code voice America uh, and you get that deal so uh, uh, wouldn't that be cool right Kyle would be able to yeah, repurpose awesome. for a promotion well, I mean yeah oh yeah absolutely I mean it would be it, it, a very useful tool and actually an invaluable tool so that's a, an incredible price because as a person who's produced podcasts I can tell you it's very technical and there's a lot of crap involved in it and if somebody can take that load off of your shoulders for that uh, for that inexpensive of a price, you, you want to jump on that. That's so, a, that is a very good price point for what they offer, what, what Ryan's offering. And by the way, I know Ryan personally. He's a very, very legitimate dude. <laughs> he is a fantastic person. And Thanks. anything he recommends to you is solid gold because he just can't sell something bad or give you something bad. So Yeah, I use the service, too. You know how I am, dude. When they when they came to us, oh, I'm like, I'm not promoting anything until we vet it first. So uh -huh. we used the service for, you know, 45 days before we, you know, went into partnership with them. And, you know, there were a couple of shows that we did that we were kind of test betting it, and we used another show uh, called Atomic Monsoon. That's one of our internal shows uh, to vet it as well. And, man, I, I, don't, I totally saw a huge increase in social engagement uh, using those things. And uh, Jeff and I were watching our numbers numbers from 2018 and uh, moving into 2019 and yeah. creating content on a on a consistent basis and and using the proper promotion tools and we've really been able to, to garner the audience uh, to a point now that uh, we get people sending us promo codes and stuff and yeah. got us we got a sponsor that'll be coming up next week on the uh, on the show too but uh, Kyle tell us about your podcast what's it about where can people find it Okay, so it's called the Professionally Lake Podcast currently it's only on iTunes it'll be on uh, all platforms this coming week. So uh, if you're listening uh, to this today, it'll be about a week from now where you can listen everywhere. Right now, it's currently available on iTunes, and it's called the Professionally Lit Podcast. The Professional uh, Rip? No, Professionally Lit. Professionally so it's kind of like a, a double meaning, you know, like because all the kids are saying it's lit now, you know, lit. Yeah. We're lit. It's actually professionally lit because I'm going to have professional lighting once the video component comes in. So I thought it was a fun uh, name, but it's called Professionally Lit, and it's just me being a goofball and just uh, talking about how I feel about what's going on in life in general and, you know, personal stuff, the political stuff, the, all that stuff, because I try to keep politics out of my comedy, and I try right. to keep it on my podcast, because I think it's a better forum. I think I can explain. If I have 10 minutes to be funny, I can't really tell you how I feel about the state of affairs in this world. But if I have an hour and 20 minutes, well, I can open up, and then you really get to know how I feel about it, and I think it's a better forum for it. And uh, I'm just a huge fan of podcasts myself, so cool. it's really fun. It's been Here, a lot. Here's it's my political view. I hate stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I hate stupidity <laughs> and, and uh, people who promote stupidity. <laughs> I agree. I was telling our audio engineers uh, earlier in the week, I had a... Uh, a scenario on social media like a month or two ago where I had put something out that was, you know, kind of politically risque. Not, I, I didn't really feel that it was, but ultimately I ended up being called a racist and all kinds of crazy stuff on social media. So I, I, I deleted my post. I had, you know, a bunch of friends uh, that I, you know, like, well, they're not real friends, like Facebook friends, right? right, that, right. that unfollowed me and I'm going, ah, well. Ooh. And it, it was weird because I've never really had people unfollow me before, right. uh, you know, based off of something that I felt that they obviously didn't understand. And so I made mm -hmm. the decision a couple months ago when that happened that I'm no longer putting anything like that out on social media. Did because, you write something or yeah, did you read? No, okay. I, I, well, so I shared something and then I wrote my thought around what I okay, shared. Okay, right. Yeah. And, uh, no, I agree. I couldn't agree yeah. more, man. It's just not the platform for it anymore. Everybody's no. got a voice now and everybody's using it. And, and honestly, I use Facebook to stay connected with the people I want to see. So, very. Yeah. You know, 
very particular yeah, what's, what I post. And, yeah. you know, friends and connections. Yeah, okay, you know, I like to see numbers, you know, being in the business and the media. You know, I want to get as many connections as I can. However, mm-hmm. I am very, very uh, uh, safe on what I put out there. Because it just I don't I don't use social for you know political views. Be uh, careful what you put on the internet, kids. It's out there forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and seriously, and just understand. You know, people will tell you people say things. Well, you know, they might be looking at me, or people might be seeing me, but I'm not doing anything wrong. So let them see it. What we have to understand is, and I don't mean to make it, make it too serious, but they said <laughs> the same thing in Poland before Nazi Germany happened. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just Jewish. I'm at my synagogue. It's no big deal. It's not about what we think is wrong. It's what about the, what, what the powers of be mm-hmm. are. And now you can say something very easy. You can say a girl is pretty and it's offensive and now you're a part of the Me Too movement. How dare, how dare, you, how dare you say I'm a girl? Exactly. That's exactly that's exactly how it goes. You don't know, and so if yeah, you say, right. "Hey, oh, what? That's a very beautiful looking girl," and then the person turns around and goes, "Well, I, I self-identify as a man, and I find that offensive." Yeah. And how dare you assume my gender, oh, sir? What you're right, a man. Right. Yeah. Well, I go. That's you look like a girl, so. <laughs> exactly, and you know what, dude? There's nothing wrong with feeling how you feel. Nope. But there's no there, there is no positive. There is no net positive gain from sharing it on social media platforms yeah. because. It's, it's only you're only going to shoot yourself on the foot with it. Right. So it's like keep it light, keep it easy, keep in contact, and the political stuff. Fortunately for us, especially for us, we have this outlet where we can actually talk and explain what we mean. <laughs> that right. girl's pretty. Now let me understand. Let me make you understand. I love my girlfriend. Ryan loves his wife. Like we don't have any intentions of doing anything. There's no malfeasance in saying that she's pretty, but we can explain that. Whereas if we just go, oh, she's so beautiful on social media, we can now be attacked for it. And it's a lame example, but you get what I'm saying. Get the gist of what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's a good point. People people just take things out of context, take stuff too far. People are way oversensitive, and you know what? They just need to get over it and go listen to some comedy. Exactly. (laughs) I agree. And on that note. Improv on the 30th. Forget that bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. All right. We're, uh, we got about two minutes left, so. Uh, first, uh, Kyle, do you have something now, uh, maybe on YouTube or something for any uh, uh, teaser uh, on your work you've done? I, you know, I wish I could say that I do, but honestly, my whole thing is like I'm very uh, protecting myself. Gotcha. For my future self as a comic, because when you when you put it out there and it gets into the zeitgeist, maybe I'll feel differently once I have uh, more time under my belt. But I really, my first piece that I put online. Uh, for general consumption, I want it to be magnificent, and maybe that's a ridiculous thought. But currently, there is not, and it, there probably won't be until I personally feel very satisfied with what I've accomplished in that bit or in that segment. And I, I will release it on YouTube eventually. For now, I'm just going to keep it on the podcast. And if this second that it comes out, if you listen to the professionally lit podcast on yeah. iTunes or all places coming uh, next week. Um, you'll find out, you know, you'll understand my, my perspective on it a little more. I can elaborate more. Uh, but right now, currently, no. But in the future, so yeah. It's only a week away before we yeah, get on the, Yeah, and you guys can go follow him, too, on his website, kylemonaghan.com, uh, K-Y-L-E-M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N.com. Kyle, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate it. Guys, make sure you yeah, follow it was us. great having you on the show, Kyle. Uh, oh, thanks for having me. Phil. Follow us all over well. Twitter uh, at Radio Ryan One at Jeff Spinney Two, and of course the main Voice America Twitter at Voice 
America. Check that out. And of course, we got our Facebook page uh, and the FindingYourFrequency.net website where you can follow all the cool stuff that we're doing here. Uh, thank you guys all for tuning in to this episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm so glad Jeff was back and joining us today. Yes. Good stuff. It was a beautiful, uh, beautiful show. Join us next week. We've got some more fantastic Finding Your Frequencies.